Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Great Jones. When's the last time you replaced your pots and pans? Great Jones, who supports this show, is a startup that makes fantastic cookware. Really great value for the quality. It's the cookware I use and love at home. Plus, the founders are two women who are transforming the industry. Great Jones products start at $45 and include a ceramic nonstick skillet, a big stainless steel stock pot, and a colorful Dutch oven that looks as good as it works. It's a one-stop shop. Upgrading your tools is one of the best things you can do to improve your cooking, especially as you're getting ready for Thanksgiving and holiday cooking. Go to greatjones.com and use the code DAVE, D-A-V-E, at checkout for 15% off. That's a great deal of value. If you care about how your food tastes, you should care about your cookware. Again, greatjones.com, code DAVE for 15% off. It's a great time to upgrade your pots and pans. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you to the great band Yola Tango for letting us use their music in the introduction. This week, we have a great guest, one of the best chefs and one of my first mentors and good friend, Chef Marco Canora of Restaurant Hearth and uh, the growing business Brodo, which makes delicious, absolutely delicious broths. But wanted to apologize if you hear this and it sounds a little bit wonky. I'm doing this from a hotel on my phone from Western Australia. I'm here for work for the week and uh, didn't have time to do this introduction properly. So apologies. So I'm going to keep this introduction super short. In fact, hey, Google, set a timer for two minutes. Okay, two minutes. And that's starting now. Marco was so important in my life because while I had a couple restaurant jobs before, he was a chef that opened up craft and he was uh, the executive sous chef at Gramercy Tavern and he was a protege of Tom Calicchio. And I don't know if Tom gets enough credit, Tom Calicchio, the original chef of Gramercy Tavern, because he had done something that no other American, maybe people like Charlie Palmer and uh, Rick Moonen and stuff like that. But for me, what Tom was doing was vitally important because he had integrated French concepts and philosophy and European ideas with American ingredients and sensibilities. And that's why I love this cooking so much and why I wanted to work for him. And Marco was one of his most successful protégés, and he wound up opening up Kraft, and Marco taught me so much. And that opening team of Kraft Restaurant on 19th Street, East 19th Street, still a fantastic restaurant. I felt like I won the lottery because I learned so much from these amazing chefs, Tom, Marco, Jonathan Benno, Liz Benno, Dan Sauer, Karen Damasco, Octarnois, Damon Wise, the list goes on and on. And I don't know if I have my career today if I didn't work for Marco. And he's done some amazing things. He's, he's had a restaurant called Hearth in the East Village. If you haven't been, check it out. It's one of the reasons why Momfuku's in the East Village. And He's got these brodos. It's these broths, these bone broths with really delicious organic ingredients. You should check it out. And he's got some stands in New York City where you can taste some delicious things. And if you hear us drinking something, it wasn't coffee. He had made us this amazing chicken, coconut, curry, Thai basil thing concoction. And we drank all of it. It came in like a Dunkin' Donuts, like a mug coffee thing. And anyway, uh, I digress. It was delicious. And just thinking about it makes me want to get some. And you can also buy some at Whole Foods at Frozen. 
But I think the world of Marco, and he's had a terrific career, and I think he's come out the, the I won't say the other end, but he's in a different place than he was when he first started. Anyway, want to get to this podcast, don't have any my opinion is fact this week because uh, I am terribly, terribly jet lagged. It's insane. So here's my conversation with Marco Canora of Restaurant Hearth and Brodo. I'm with Marco Canora, chef of Hearth, founder of Brodo. How many locations of Brodo now? We're opening up our fifth on the Upper East Side this year. And I see it in Whole Foods and more supermarkets and growing. Yeah, we're in grocery. Yep. You know, your name's been spoken about several times whenever we talk about just where I've been and how the hell this all even happened. (laughs) And Marco was my first real chef while I had worked at a couple other places. It wasn't until I thought about this as a serious career until I worked for Marco. And that, weirdly enough, was a long time ago now. I know. (laughs) 2000. 2000. Jesus. And um, such a strange time. Um, I wanted to work for you. I wanted to work for Tom. And Gramercy Tavern was, to me, like the coolest restaurant because it allowed you to sort of celebrate being American without being completely French. and. Mm -hmm. There was like a weird time. Like you had to choose like what clan you wanted to be in. Right? And the, the Frenchies loved him, right? Right. You had to choose the clan. Yep. You could work for Daniel Blood. You could work for Eric Repair. You could work for David Boulet. John George. John George. You had Charlie Palmer um, and a few others. But like the main groups were that. JG, Danielle, yep. Tom. Cool. And I Well, think, Tom was accepted into that yeah, group, right? Was Which weird. was like, it was weird. And again, like, I don't know if it gets enough credit for what happened at Gramercy Tavern, but it was the first restaurant that I could think of that celebrated American, like American sensibilities in cooking. For and sure. not in a red-blooded American way, but the fact that we were going to try to look at everything through an American prism and the ingredients and the sensibilities right. of it. We still made 10 gallons of beer fondue every day. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and. I wanted to work for Tom at, Cra- at Gramercy, but then like I had heard that he was going to open up his own restaurant that got delayed for a variety of reasons, and then it finally opened up in 2000, and you were going to run the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that, I can't remember, it was a kid from cooking school, remember Jim- Jimmy Sisha, who used to work? Oh That's God, a whole other yeah. crazy story, which we might get into. Oh, Jesus. Right? Um, you were the chef at uh, La Cucina in Martha's Vineyard. Yep. So I knew everything as much as I could about you. And uh and came from Gramercy. Yeah, came from Gramercy. Yep. You 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 were the executive sue under Johnny Schaefer. Yep. And you know, I, it's hard to describe because when we talk about this time, we don't have anything like that anymore in terms of the tight-knit family. Like it was a clan. Yeah. The Gramercy team was its own family. For sure. I mean, how many... And the industry seemed smaller then, too, right? It was like the hardcore line cooks who shopped at J.B. Prince. You know, it was like a clan. I feel like it's just, it's gotten broader and larger, and it's not as intimate as it was. But the team that you work with at Gramercy, you had worked with for years. Yeah. 
No one left. Or people left, they came back. Yep. And I just drank the Kool-Aid. And when you guys opened up Kraft, I was I was like working for Mercer Kitchen and I was in cooking school. And I just thought I was do I was so late to the game. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was how old were you then? It's 22. Yeah. What were you thinking? Running, not just you now running craft. There was a lot of pressure on you. It was very, it was very stressful. It was high pressure. And I came into the game late, you know, like I tell people, like, I didn't really take my first serious line cook job until I was like 27. And all the years I worked in kitchens and cooked before that, it was really just the means to like drink booze and eat food and meet girls. And it wasn't until my first line cook job coming back to New York after being in San Francisco for a few years and landing that job at Gramercy Tavern, uh, that's when it all started getting real. You took it really seriously. Oh my God. I was like, I'm going to make this my career. And I'm so excited to land a line cook job at Gramercy. And I worked through that kitchen very quickly. And um, you know, one of the highlights of my career to this day is still the second New York Times review that happened to Gramercy Tavern by Ruth Reichel. I cooked all of her fish that she spoke about in her three-star review because they had gotten two stars. And then they got re-reviewed and had three stars. But and that I was, was the line cook who cooked the fish that she wrote about. And it was like the most thrilling thing ever for, for me. But what you just said seems simple and nostalgia for you. But if you're just following food now or half or 15 years. You have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Gramercy Tavern was the second restaurant from Danny Meyer. Tom Kalikia was the chef at Mondrian. This was their first yep. real American duo type thing. They were Will and Daniel before Will and Daniel. Yeah. It was Danny's second restaurant. Yeah, which he said he would never do. Yep. And it got a lot of press. It was on the cover of Ma- like New York Magazine. Star yeah. American restaurant. Tom with hair. <laughs> <laughs> on the cover. It was for sure going to have the uni crab fondue. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. With a lot of chives. Chives and chervil and everything. And it got two stars. Yeah. Were you there for that? No. I came I came after. Was there a sense of, fuck, we got to... We gotta like redo this, crush it. Not really, man. There was when I when I went into that kitchen for the first time, it was so impressive and so clean, and there was so much confidence happening in that kitchen. And uh, I I wasn't even really aware of the whole stars, and they only had two, and any of that. I I was I was bowled over by the vibes in that kitchen. Were you surprised how seriously they took it? Yes, I was, because it was no fucking joke. They were very, they they were they were 110% from moment one, you know, from morning, noon, and night. It was crazy. Cleaning and the flat tops and just all that culture that we, a lot of people speak of, you know, it was like, it was intense times for sure. And you guys got three stars. Yeah. Which may seem relatively not news today. Right. But Back why then, was it, it was so important? Deal. What was going on? Why getting three stars from Ruth? Why was that so significant? Well, she was one of the more respected reviewers, I think, in in all the years at at the New York Times. Um, And back then, you know, this is like the late 90s. You know, that was kind of the end-all, be-all, right? It's like there's 
things have kind of, there aren't really the gatekeepers there once was, but back in the day, like that was it. Like if food and wine wrote a story about you or if the, or if the New York times Wednesday edition or that New York times review, like that was a game changer for a restaurant. And that was the DNA and the family that ultimately became the family at craft. And before that though, you had, um, Man, Tom was really ahead of his time in a lot of so many things, man. And uh, I know most people think of him now as doing Top Chef and stuff, but he gave you liberties that most chefs would never, ever do. You know, the conception of Kraft happened over dinner at Union Pacific with um, Rocco Desperto. Which is an iconic restaurant that no one will know about anymore. I know. It was crazy. But, you know, we had the, the million plate and all that. It was amazing. But um, it was a simple conceit. It was like Tom and I kind of grew up Italian-American families, and it was like, why can't, why can't you eat in a restaurant the way we eat at home and just put some shit down the center of the table and everybody eats it, you know? Um, and that was the nugget of the idea. And it's- it was basically like, oh, and why does a steakhouse only have to serve, like, steak and these things? Like, why can't you have a restaurant format that serves all the dishes of a great fine dining restaurant, but just do it through the lens of like that center of the table steakhouse style. And, you know, back then nobody was doing that. And it was a, it was a novel idea. Um, and it was funny to see the evolution of that too. Right. Cause we took the um, compose your own thing to the nth degree. Like when we opened, that was a nightmare. Oh my God. We had like condiments. It was like, pick your condiment and pick your sauce and pick your everything. Choose your own adventure for everything. It was like, I'm surprised we didn't say like, pick your sea salt. You know, it was insane. But before that, it quickly changed though. He gave you the freedom to take time off from Gramercy. Yeah. And open on the, on the vineyard. How did that happen? How did you pitch them? Well, summers, summers are slow in the city always and forever. Um, So that was one thing on my side. And look, he was always smart with cultivating talent and, you know, much, you, you get a lot of credit today for being that same way, right? Like working with people, cultivating talent. And, and he was a master of that. And like, he knew that allowing me to go and open a restaurant from nothing at, you know, my folks bed and breakfast in Martha's Vineyard was only going to make me a stronger, better manager and leader at Gramercy when I got back. Um, so you know, kudos to him for like having the long view. And then it made me better to be the the main guy when we opened up craft. So in that time frame, you were what, like 31, 32, 33? Yeah. When you were running La Cucina in the vineyard? Yes. What were Early some of 30s. those dishes that you were working on that you're like, this is fucking it. I'm crushing it. <laughs> That's I hilarious. Just, I just did something that That's no hilarious. Well, one of them was, you know, one of the dishes that Gramercy had having back in the day was like the pepper-crusted tuna, MR pepper-crusted tuna. So I had to do a pepper-crusted tuna. I was on Martha's Vineyard, but I did mine with, uh, with Ponsonella, and I got some like unsalted Tuscan bread and made a really killer Ponsonella because that was like kind of in my DNA. And I put the tuna on the ponzanella because sometimes you would put canned tuna in it. So that was my, I was being really uh, ahead of the curve there. Um, and with like a tomato vinaigrette and little dots of like really good basil oil that I made from basil that was out in the backyard. Um, and that's like, I look back at that menu and look at that dish. It just, it's like, didn't it you cracks have, me up. Didn't you, because I remember a conversation later at Kraft because there was a discussion if you were going to put it on. 
the lavender <laughs> lamb thing. Oh yeah, the grilled lavender lamb chops. That, that was, was a thing. You wanted that to put was it on huge. That was a big one. Yeah. Why did it not make the menu at craft? I don't know. Um, I think it was like a it was an operational problem because what I did was I would uh I would clean all the racks and then I'd cut all individual chops and then I would marinate them and then I would cover them in olive oil. And you had to like melt all the olive oil off of them because if you know you set them in the walk-in and then all the olive oil would coagulate. And we grilled them, and it was just a disaster because it was like hard to get the oil off, and they would always flare up. And in an environment like Kraft, where there was like seven other meat dishes, um, it just didn't operationally. It didn't work. When did you know but, you were going to take over the kitchen <laughs> at Kraft? Yeah. Um, I was the guy yeah. to start it. So like I know, it, but like when like, did Tom come to you? Oof, it was ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was like two years in the making. Um, and I'll tell you some fun months were when Jonathan Benno and I were on the payroll, but the restaurant was kept on getting delayed, and we would have our air quotes menu meetings <laughs> at his apartment in Brooklyn. That uh, those those were some fun times. JV, I mean, <clears throat> that whole team that you assembled. Yeah, and James Tracy, Octar, Damon. Karen Damasco, Karen Damasco Lauren Dawson, God. Arpana. Arpana. <laughs> um, yes, Liz Chapman. Liz Chapman, Dan Sauer, yes. Stacy, Ed Higgins. Ed Higgins, yeah. There was a, it was such an amazing crew, oh my God. And then Modesto's whole clan. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'll, I just listened to your, I just listened to one of these with the, the grit woman who wrote yeah, the grit books. And when you guys were talking about, uh, craft and you said, you know, it was like, who could be the funniest? Yeah. Right. And like, that's, that so resonated with me because like, there was like this immense, there was this immense intensity, but, but with that crew. They knew where the lines were, and we were able to have an incredibly great time. And not be, everyone knew where the, the lines were. <laughs> not everyone knew the lines. You're right. Because you were the one to enforce oh. where the lines were. Oh, my God. It was brutal. <laughs> it was so brutal. But that time, I just, honest, I still feel like I won the lotto, man. It was, yeah, me too. I did too. It was an amazing restaurant to open. and I Everyone mean, was so good. Can you believe that team you no. guys made? No, it was it was extraordinary. Even the 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 service staff. Yeah, Victor to Matthew and Katie. Katie Greco, yeah. Um, pretty amazing. Yeah, and Matthew, I was the wine guy. Yeah, it was insane. And I knew I had to get there, but I was just like, I'm never good enough. I'm just, I'm really just starting out. And I was working at Mercer Kitchen, and I again, like, I just. It wasn't for me. And then Mark Salafia went to college with Mark. Salafia, yeah. And he was like, hey, uh, I'm a captain here at, at Kraft. I know you really love Tom. Why don't you try to get a job here? And I remember coming down to the kitchen so terrified because it's in the basement. And then you're rolling yoki. <laughs> and I don't even think you looked at me. You're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I? No. We're good. <laughs> We're good. We're good. We don't need anyone. We're good. We're good. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's it. And then uh, I don't know what came over me to be like, you know what? Hey, before I leave, let me see if there's any other positions. 
Because just you started in. on veg, right? No, you were on the veg station. I've answered phones. Well, no, I'm saying when you got in the kitchen. You no, were on I veg. was a Garmanger forever. Oh, Garmo you you first. would never let me leave Garmanger. That's right. You opened oysters for yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah, I got really good at it. Yeah. But uh, I just when when I saw that when I went down, it was like um, it's like I felt like like in high school and you were in like the senior lounge yeah. and all the cool kids are there. Mm. And it was just a whole different vibe. Yeah. People were focused, just so focused. Yep. And there was just, you could tell excellence was being pursued across the board. Yeah. And a product quality. And cleanliness and yeah. organization. And Stock- Benno, Benno's the master of that. You know, he, you know, I learned so much from Benno working with him so closely opening that restaurant. Um, Making we, the stocks. Yeah. All of that stuff. It was like the perfect school. For yeah, for a young cook, oh my that god, that's the perfect place to be. Because right, craft was no way. bullshit. Yep. yep, we're gonna get the best product, do the best technique, All and then technique. keep it keep it as simple and pure as possible. Yeah. And everything was the basic building box of food. So I got, to, I didn't get to make stocks. We only made brown chicken stock at uh, Mercer. Mercer, but we're making veal, Remy. Dark, yep. every kind of stock. Yep. All the bones. Oh, man. It was so much work. Yeah, it was. All the braises. And I was just like, I have to I have to be here somehow. We managed a lot of product, right? It's crazy. Yeah. And five, six different kinds of mushrooms. It was insane. <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine types of meat. Six, seven, eight, nine types of fish. I mean, it was crazy. It was a lot of product. You couldn't afford to do that today. No way. Right? No way. It's like, I, my game now is like, less pro, you know, <laughs> less, you know, make the menu smaller because it's like, you can't, it it's too expensive. Big team. Yeah. Tons of people. Oh my God. <laughs> big team. Can't do any of that today. You have what? Three people on pastry, three people yeah. on carmanger. Yes. Think about no, that. Six people just on between pastry and and, uh, and Garmo. It's but like no, now it's like one guy on Garmo who picks up yeah. pastry. <laughs> oh my god! It's but really, I just was so exciting because I was like, "This is where I need to be." And you know what was crazy? I mean, I remember reading the French Laundry Cookbook so many times, and then I think James Tracy was like, "That's." I think I was like, I brought it with me, and he's like, "You know." The JB on the lobster and peas, that's Right, him. that's the guy. And I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> Are you kidding I me? Know. That's JB, that's the guy right there with the bald head? Benno's pedigree is extraordinary. And I just was like, this is where I have to be. And then I had to, the only position I could get there was answering phones. <laughs> <laughs> and I answered phones for, for like two months. Yep. To like built the curse. Got in there, yeah. I built the curse. I was like, I got to come back down. And here then you went to Cafe Blue, right? After I spent that? two, two, almost two and a half years with you. Yeah. And man, that was the best. Those were awesome times. That three star review was pretty great. William Grimes. I'll never forget again. Like JB, the next morning, he had shaving cream still on his head. You <laughs> 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 missed, you missed shaving his head, dude. I don't know if I've ever worked that hard opening that restaurant. I remember like mopping floors with Akhtar Nawab after like you know it was like a seventeen hour shift, and somehow we ended up we were like mopping floors at like two thirty in the morning after being there for like sixteen hours. You told the story about the sous chef, the exec sous at Gramercy, that was just like so intense about it, and I was like. When I met you, mm. and I was like, I don't think I've ever met anyone 
that's <laughs> taken something as seriously as you take this. Dude, it felt like life, your life was on the line somehow. I don't know, I know. why. <laughs> I know. But I, don't, I look back and I'm like, I don't understand how I could have taken it all so seriously. It was crazy how Because I've come a long way in my old age. Like every, I, I, I feel but like, it wasn't just you. Everyone. I know. It was insane. Yeah. I don't know. How did that get cultivated? I mean, it had to come from Jonathan and I, but it's like... I don't think it was just you guys. It was just the industry then. Yeah. But it was very... Everything was fucking serious. Yeah. And the investment in that restaurant too, right? It was no joke. I mean, it was a lot at stake. Yeah. I mean, they spent a lot of money. That was a garbage stove. Oh, I know. (laughs) What was that thing called? Don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, they changed it immediately. But... Again, like we could wax nostalgic <laughs> about this whole thing, but like, I just, I really think about that as like, I am so blessed. Thank you for all the opportunities. Thank you for the hard talks you would have. And everything was just hilarious, man. Like, <laughs> we but had going some back, hard talks. It was the, it was as serious as it was which is hard to describe how serious it was, like deathly serious. Yeah. When did it have time to be so fun? Can you even remember how that happened? No, I don't. And I think it was like a release valve, right? I think the laughter and the fun was just a way to like release a little bit because we were all so wound up tight. It was crazy. Yeah. And I learned so much. And I never get that opportunity ever again. Where you couldn't find that opportunity. What restaurant could you learn that? Like, I wanted to work Saturday mornings because it was just me and Octar. Yeah. And I got to cook everything. Yeah. Get it started for 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 dinner service, doing all the braises, making everything. Yeah. I learned more of that doing that. And I'm like, when I think about that opportunity. Yeah, well, we didn't do lunch, right? So all day it was prep, like focused prep. And we did a lot of charcuterie back then. We were doing Oh I remember one of the things I was super proud of is making my own mortadella. mortadella and I had the metal, the metal Roboku, and I would like fill freezer, I would fill like one gallon freezer bags with ice. No, I remember. And then I would duct tape the I would duct tape the ice around the metal bowl of the Roboku because I had to get it super cold so I could whip all the fat into the pork. Oh no, you don't have to explain to me. I yeah. remember. <laughs> and then we would stuff whole pigs, we'd like bone out whole yeah. pigs. And we would stuff the middle with mortadella and roll it and then poach that. And we would like torchon the entire pig with all the mortadella in it and then slice it like deli meat. And it was just so beautiful. I think it's still in the craft. I think that's in the craft book. Well, it's not giant. that any, it's the recipe that no, no. one ever well, tried. Let me tell you, what a giant pain in the ass to make. Yeah. <laughs> Duct tape frozen yeah. bags of ice around not your metal robot. Salt in the bags. <laughs> right. Those are what right. are you talking about? Step one duct tape. <laughs> Ice to your frozen. It's like nobody ever made that recipe. <laughs> oh my god! All of those. I remember all of that shit. And I left. I'm. I went to Japan. That's right. And um, I came back, and I didn't know what to do. But when I came back, it was, "Hey, Marco's leaving." You had planned. Yeah. And that, that was like, whoa! You helped open up Craft Steak. Yeah. Ben was supposed to be bar. down in uh, Charleston, but that didn't pan out. So yep. then everything started to change when Benno and you, it really, yeah. Benno decided he was going to take the job running, moving to California to be back to French Orange and run yeah. per se. That's right. And when did you start to plan, like, you know what? I got to run my own shop. Well, Katie Greco, who was the GM at Kraft at the time, and we opened that restaurant together and built it out together. 
Her husband was Paul Greco, um, and he was like uber serious wine guy at Gramercy Tavern for a lot of years. And he was, I mean, he was at Gramercy, I don't know, for like six, seven years. And um, she kind of was like, you guys should talk because you guys would make a killer, killer team. Uh, and we did. And we, we, you know, we worked up a plan to try to raise some money and open up a restaurant. We started looking for real estate and and we found that spot on the corner of 1st and 12th, which it was, was Tapo. It was the Mediterranean restaurant. Yeah, right? it was Tapo. They came from Il Buco. Uh, and uh, they opened a restaurant called Tapo, and it didn't last very long. Um, so we got a good deal on that corner. I mean, it was pretty – I mean, what year is that? Two thousand. It was like 2003. Three, you opened up 2002. Yeah, we opened in – two. yeah, exactly. So we signed a lease somewhere in 2002. What were you thinking? Like, we were like – because, again, now – Dude, we were happened. so full of ourselves. We thought that we – it didn't matter. We thought we were, you know, like, you could open wherever the fuck you want and, like, people are going to come because it's Paul Greco and Marco Canora. And, like, at the end of the day, like, at this city, they didn't give a shit. <laughs> Nobody – you know, it's like – it's an unforgiving city. But it was, it was weird because it was – First Avenue's at that it time was, brutal. was like Siberia. Yeah, totally. It was like uh, I'm opening a restaurant on and First York, and York, 12th? Yorkville. Yeah, right. You know? yeah, right. You're like what? Right. But but you, you chase the deals, right? It's still today you chase the deals. And you, you assembled a great team and and how different was <laughs> opening Hearth? Like how, what were you thinking? Like where were you then? Look, we were, I was obsessed with like, you know, fine dining and three stars. And like, that was in my brain. And and Paul Greco had like Gramercy Tavern, three star world. And he was super buttoned up and he played that part and got dressed up. And his, his, his beverage programs were off the hook. And like, you know, I was, I was feeling my oats too. Like, Craft was a huge success. You know, we got Craft Bar was fucking Craft Bar was delicious and awesome. And I was so proud of that. And Craft was high, high, high stress. And everybody was watching. And like we delivered. We won best chef in the country that year, James Beard. Best restaurant. Best restaurant, sorry. Best restaurant in the country, James Beard. And uh, and we got a glowing three-star review from from Grimes. And it's like that's the gold standard back then. And And everybody came in. Oh my celebrities God. and chefs. Dude, the the yeah, the first two years of that restaurant was unreal. Everybody came in. Everyone. David Bowie and Amon and Alain Ducasse and Lou Reed and like everybody came. Rick Ocasek, Rick Ocasek, yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, everybody came to that restaurant the first two years. Everybody talked about it. It was a new concept. It was a new thing. And we we hit it out of the park and you know. Thanks to the unbelievable team we had, right? And it was like, did you think about so staying? when I? Oh yeah, I mean, it was the huge moment in my career because it was basically like, do I want to go out and raise money and open a restaurant on First and Twelfth, or do I want to be like, you know, the number one guy for the Tom Colicchio like world? It was a big, huge, important decision for me, uh, and and I toiled over that decision for a long time because. Look, if I had stayed, I would still be, I'd probably be in a lot of ways way better off, <laughs> like why, financially. Why, why, why explain that? Because for all intents and purposes, you've been wildly successful having well, your restaurant be 15 plus years. Yeah. Five locations. It's interesting. Proto, yeah. You know, 
Is the grass it's so greener on the other side? Grass is always greener, and I got to tell you, like it's nothing but. You know, you often you often refer to Sisyphus, and it's just like I, I could I could relate so strongly to that because it it like it doesn't get easier; it only gets harder. And I think um, the last twenty years probably would have been a little less stressful and a little bit more uh, maybe rewarding from a financial perspective. Uh, certainly not from a personal perspective because. The the biggest payday for me over the past 16 years at Hearth and growing Brodo has been, uh, you know, building culture and building relationships and 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 fueling my creativity and having a place to do that. Um, and not just creativity through food, but creativity through every aspect of running a business, because I think there's... You know, people get caught up with the notion of creativity, how it has to be about art. But I think there's there's ways to be creative in every aspect of what you do and when you run a business. Um, and I feel so lucky to have uh, the ability to have outlets to be creative. Um, and was, was it worth the stress of it? I mean, that's the million-dollar question. I don't know. It's like sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't know how <laughs> – you know, I worry about the last 20 years of stress and how it's going to manifest as I age. Cause like lately I've been very focused and into uh, my health. And I think it happens to everyone as you get older, you know, I'm 51 now and it's like, I really care about what I eat and I really am conscious about moving every day. And I'm super, I try to like control my thinking and meditate and do sauna and I do all this stuff and I really care about it. But you know, the fact is, it's like, the 25 years of fucking grinding in this city and running smoking. and oh my god I smoked for a lot of years and drinking alcohol and not eating well and and the stress of running opening craft and opening hearth and opening NCMA like those years are behind me and there's nothing I could do about them now and it's like sometimes I wonder what are the implications mm. of those sac- those years of sacrifice I don't know but you're told that's what you have to do yeah right? totally like you're in New York it's the big leagues like you have to grind and you have to push and like you know it's funny because there's a backlash against that mentality today and and it's interesting um you know you just talked about it uh, the other day I listened to you with Brian Coppel Brian yeah. Coppelman and this idea of like to succeed you have to like do that. And, you know, I don't know. I would like to debate that. I would like to debate that because I think that it isn't always the best path, right? I think that having, and I hate this word, it's so cliche, but having some semblance of balance where you you have some emphasis around your habits and your, you know, your eating habits and your sleeping habits and taking care of your physical self and your mental self first. I believe that ultimately that will allow you to do anything else you try to do better. 100%. So it's like, but there's no I don't no think, you know, you have to work 85 hours a week Marco, and fucking I'm, sleep I'm 4 so hours sorry. a night and work, you know, work until you can't stand straight and that's the only way to be great. Like that's fucking bullshit. I don't believe it. I don't know if you could understand that without doing that. And honestly, like when would you, how was there any, I mean, I think about it a lot too. How was there any other way? Yeah. Back, back then. then there, no, I mean, I honestly, there was 
literally, it was so fucking hard, man. It was so Yeah, you didn't hard. have the option to work seven hours. <laughs> no. Right. I mean it was like, oh man, yeah. like, I think I should get And the hot. stress was there. You couldn't mitigate against the stress. But because high profile restaurant, so because you work so hard. Yeah. Because you cared about the gnocchi being so fucking perfect. Right. Right? Like it helped drive the team, and that's how you built the team. The last thing you wanted to do was feel bad for yourself. Right. So collectively, it was like, bring in, motherfuckers. Let's go. Let's yep. go. Let's yep. go. And I don't – I think about it a lot. There's no way it could have been any other way. And I don't think you should feel bad about it because you have a different view about it now. I just don't believe in the notion of the only way to achieve greatness is by doing that. I think you could be fucking great and not do that too. I really do. I think we're all trying to figure out if that is a way. We right. have to believe it's a way. Right. But can you do you think you can see that way without going to the dark side? And I view everything in Star Wars, man. And we learned <laughs> we learned we, we were the fucking dark side Sith. That was the way. It was like yeah. vengeance and pain and yeah. we're going to inflict it. We're going to suffer as much as humanly possible to make the food as delicious as possible. Yeah. And it's highly effective. You get really great results. Yeah. But you destroy yourself and everyone else around you. Yeah. It's not. It's not okay. And it's just, it's not the way of the world today. So that, that shit's over. But it's and, hard and not to, it's hard to be balanced. It It's harder to be balanced and thoughtful and empathetic than right. it is to lose your temper. Right. The question is, do you think that the dining public has become more forgiving and empathetic? No. Not at all. In fact, I think it's Don't you think that that's where kind of some of the struggle is? Because everybody, we all we all believe in like the notion of like having a good life and taking care of everybody and like whatever, but then it's like then it's like this like yeah, you know, it's got to permeate across the board, and right? And it hasn't yet. And it hasn't yet. And it's a real problem and it's a real challenge. Like I'm challenged with that at hearth every day because it's like and you say this a lot. It's like the prices on our menus should be 20% more. At least. At least. At least. And that would be amazing because then I would be able to treat everybody that much better. But if I did that today, I would lose 30% market share. At least. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's Day Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Alturas. COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having a hard time finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. Plus, he also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the ones most relevant to him. And that's how Dylan found his director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. It's a terrific place to find talented people in the hospitality industry. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's C-H-A-N-G. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Today's show is also brought to you by Allbirds. Everyone loves a gift that they can feel good in and good about. 
and Allbirds are stylish, comfortable, and sustainable. So you can't go wrong. Allbirds streamlined design is versatile, so you know you'll look great anytime you lace them up. They come in a wide range of colors inspired by nature and a variety of silhouettes to keep you looking your best in whatever situation you'll find yourself in this holiday season. Ladies, the Tree Breezers are your new go-to flats. They will have you feeling like the bell of the ball at any holiday party. Meanwhile, the Wool Runners, which are made from ZQ certified merino wool, will help you stay warm while the Mizzle Collection, complete with Puddle Guard, will help you stay prepared through winter's unpredictable weather. My older brother got me Allbirds last Christmas, and let me tell you how excited I was because I just didn't know why I wasn't wearing Allbirds before, and I got two pairs because I do one in the house. They're like my in-house slippers because if you're Korean, you know what I'm talking about. You have to have home slippers, and I also have Allbirds to wear outside. They're incredibly comfortable. I love my Allbirds. When I put them on my feet, they're so soft and cozy. They're like walking on clouds. I joke it's like having a new pair of feet and they're versatile. They work everywhere from holiday parties to dinner with the family. And it's things that I can wear inside the house. Allbirds are the perfect gift to make the holidays a little more comfortable for everyone on your list. Give the gift of comfort this holiday season and get a pair for yourself at allbirds.com. And now back to the show. I think one of the things that has to move faster is if you're going to point out what's wrong with the business, you should also be open to solutions that might be challenging. And don't you wonder about the moral compass of some of the food media? Like, why can they throw stones? Yeah, I get it. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't either. Um, you know, they, I'm they, really, I'm really proud of the fact that, like, over the years, I've, I've, I've somehow risen above it all, and like. We got re-reviewed at Hearth. Three stars was fucking sick, man. We, yeah. We got re-reviewed at Hearth not too long ago by Pete Wells, and we got two stars. And, like, it didn't really move the needle at all. You got and three stars. No. At Hearth? Yeah. No. Two stars. Never got three stars at Hearth. Or in CMA, for that matter. Um, but it's like, I just had a conversation with a young cook who worked at Hearth for a while, and she came in to eat just two nights ago. She opened a restaurant out in Seattle somewhere. And we had this really wonderful conversation. Um, and, you know, I convinced her, you know, it took me a while to get there, but it's like, you know, the thing that matters in this business, in my opinion, is like giving a shit about the people who walk through your door every night. And that's it. And like, I, I feel like the world we live in today has taken a lot of power away from the gatekeepers. And ultimately, that's awesome. Because you have to build it slow and real. And the way to build it slow and real is to like care about the people who come in and like empty their wallets every night. And you have to win them over every night. And that's all you need to do. You don't need to obsess. And like I'm so guilty of it because I chased, I chased after stars and I chased and I chased and I was always disappointed because I never got them. And it's just like, it's such a, you know, it's such an awful path. And it's like, I try to encourage every young cook that will listen to me or anybody who's a chef or running a business where they could be subjected to this notion of a review system. And it's like, you got to get over it. Like it's not, they don't hold the power. You know, I think about Octar too, right? 
Yeah, when he opened his restaurant on 8th Street. It makes me still mad. Oh, my God. It's, it really, me too. It's, it's funny you brought that up because that's one of the thorns in my fucking side for sure. Because that restaurant was so great. It was great. It was so great. It makes me mad. It makes me so mad too. If you're not aware, Akhtar Nawab, without a doubt, I even have to ask you, is probably one of the best cooks you've ever worked with in your life. Yep. He and also, he's killing it today, by the way. Right. He's Which is but, so nice. But man, there were some fucking dark darkness yeah. in between. Yeah. And I'm you're right. I couldn't be happier for what he's done and how he reinvented himself. 100%. But you know what? You can talk about hubris all you want. And certainly there was a healthy dose of, dose of it with Octar, but it was with everyone because he was fucking really good. And he did everything. All, you know, let me back up. I look at you guys as my mentors and older brother figures. And I've always loved you guys because you did everything the right way. There was never a shred of like compromising integrity. Mm-hmm. It just was never in anything, nope. in any fucking recipe, there's like, no, um, no, throw it out. Oh, you took a shortcut? Throw it out. Dude, I kept that, I keep that with me to this moment. And however that happened, from cleanliness, you name it, and how you guys respected your elders and the things that came before you, respecting the farmers from both vegetables to the people that gave you the meats. The whole process was beautiful to me, and I was just like, this is how it has to be done. Yeah, and, and so, Akhtar did that at his first it. restaurant, and, he, and nobody acknowledged it, <laughs> and it's just the worst. He did everything. He rose through the ranks, spent all his time with Tom, got accolades after accolades, and then raised a million plus dollars. Yep. A lot of it loaned from family members, yep. opens an original restaurant, serving With a his great bar program yeah. and a beautiful design, serving and his all version that integrity of an Indian American growing up in Louisville, Kentucky with all of this. delicious. <sighs> Who was that? Bruni. Yeah. Someone that was very nice to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he sure was. Sure was. Yeah. Um, and that was hard, man. And I don't think anyone knew what to do. Um, and that's the thing. I was like, Marco, like you did everything right. You, you literally helped define a, a, a neighborhood that existed obviously well before anything else, but it turned into, you helped turn the East village into a real thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That wasn't just Stromboli's pizza. I'd like to think it helped you open Momofuku where you did. It is the reason yeah. We opened up. Right. One and a half blocks away. Yeah. Every day I would come up and ask Marco, and we'd have a cigarette or something, and I would just tell him, like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah, scratching your head. crying on the fucking stoop. Because I was just totally in shock of what was happening. And the only reason I opened up there was it was literally a block and a half away from you. Yeah. Because it was like older brothers up the street. Yeah. And. And we're both still there. <laughs> so crazy. I'll tell you the truth. Like, if you guys didn't do it the right way, I would have just done the same thing. I mean, like, but because you guys had so expertly done it the right way and paved that road so Mm. efficiently, quite frankly, like, all of you guys had all the bases covered. Not just you, from Shea Galante to Brad Thompson, you name it. All these chefs did the right fucking thing, spent the time, went abroad, whatever. Yep. And I'm like, what fucking room is there for a guy like me? 
And that's literally the truth. If you weren't as you good as you. found your niche, I'll say. But that's the only reason. <laughs> and, and I think it was hard for me to see the people that taught me how to cook. And I think truly are way better at it than me. Like, all I wanted for you guys to do is to, like, like get whatever you guys wanted. And it was hard for me, too, man. Yeah. Because I didn't understand. It made me not appreciate any of the success that came our way. Zero. I fucking hated it. Dude, I, I remember how miserable you were. It was a shocking to me. Sucked. It was so shocking. It sucked, man. Yeah. I mean, I think you've always struggled with that a little bit, Dave, like to figure out a way to like, you know, enjoy it a bit for fuck's sake. My God. For people that work in this industry, can you find joy in this? And like, I'll tell you the truth. I Margaret, work it was- really hard to now <laughs> and I'm doing it all right. I, I I really I pick my moments, and I really like I really no have, more drinking. Uh, I still drink. I mean, I've never been a big drinker. Um, I still drink. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the things where I find joy. The fact that I, I'm I've lately become in, I, I've I try to notice and have gratitude for all the things I'm lucky to have. Like the other day, I made myself soup for lunch, and it's like. I took a bit of the like pork sausage and black kale ragu that we have for brunch. And I took some of these big, huge beans that we're making and on the menu at hearth. And I went to the Brodo window and poured some hearth broth and I heated up and I made this like quick, beautiful lunch bowl of soup for lunch. And I'm like, I was like, this is fucking amazing because so many people are out in the world and they have to buy their lunch. And it's like, the options aren't great. And I felt I had such a moment of gratitude because, like, I'm surrounded by incredibly healthful, delicious food all the time. And I have great liquor and great wine and great food and great people around me every day. And, like, that's amazing. And I, you know, so is that enough? I try to find the joy in it. A younger version of Marco, or the same thing when you look at younger cooks you know or chefs for the first time and all they're thinking about is i will only have validation for myself if i win a fucking award or get a good i know review. that's i know that's that's my new that's why i try to preach everybody not to do that to themselves you know, because it's a lie how do you how do you do that i know i know i mean that's the whole thing you you know that's the whole notion of mentorship right it's like you know teach try to teach people the lessons before they have to learn it the hard way but do you still love it as much as, as more than ever? I love it. Uh, you know, I've been able to step away and I have an unbelievable team and Luigi Petroselli is like running the kitchen for a, a lot of years now and Christine right in the front of the house and like they they treat it like their own and we've created a beautiful little family there and I think I'm able to enjoy it because I was able to step away from it. I think that if I was still embedded in the ticket machine at dinner service every night, I'm not sure I would still be able to have <laughs> kind of a joyful, loving relationship with that restaurant um, because that's like a burnout job. Like to run the, to literally run the kitchen every night is like just too much. So I feel, you know, I love it because I've been fortunate enough to kind of step away from it a little bit. You know what got me mad too, just thinking about it. I was like, I remember talking to critics 
because I was like, dude, where's your favorite restaurant? Hearth. I was like, oh, it's a lot like the food of Kraft. I was like, because that's Mark. I mean, <laughs> yes, it's Tom's restaurant. Tom had his vision here, right. here, and here. But they're like, it's like Kraft, but it was composed. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I, you know, and that, when I, when I think about it too, it's like, it did make me mad because if they, if we can't judge quality, right? We had Josh Keens on and that fucking guy is a lunatic mm-hmm. in sourcing, like sourcing ingredients to the point where he makes his own salt, right? Wow. Like a lunatic. And that's why it's so good and so expensive, whatever. But if people have a hard time judging quality, how are they going to understand technique and the intent? Mm-hmm. And I just have always thought you're one of the best chefs. I, Honestly, because I'm partial because you taught me so much, but how do you feel about doing something? I understand that you are like at another place, but I still think it's important to talk about, well, why are you going to be doing something if you're going to be judged by people that don't get it and you're not the one that's doing something wrong? Yeah, I get it. But listen, Dave, I've been... I've been simple, subtle guy, right? And that does not re- talk about not resonating with the food critics of the world. It's like, I, and I've always, I've always voiced this opinion, and I still believe it, and and I still say it, which is, restaurant critics eat out three hundred times a year, and if you want something to resonate with a, a critic that eats out three hundred times a year. It better not be gnocchi with butter and cheese and sage, right? And it better not be a perfectly cooked this or a simple that because it's not going to fucking resonate with, you know, those critics out there. And and that's been me my whole life. Like, I cook one way. Like, I love simplicity. Like, I love less is more. Like, I love clean, simple food. Like, one of my dishes forever has been a plate of gnocchi with butter. Like, that's it. And sea salt. And it's like, I don't care how perfect those are. You're not going to get, you know, an Adam Platt or some other guy who eats out 320 times a year to be like, holy shit. So let's break this down. It's like subtlety, subtlety and simplicity is lost. I can trace that whole fucking goddamn recipe of how you grew. It's the same dish. Yep. But my God, that is like a Tolstoy novel. Just in the gnocchi. I know it, and it makes me weep. Honestly, when I think about the beauty of that. Yeah, And we can appreciate Shokunin and all that stuff. All I'm saying is we are appreciating it in the wrong perspective. And you should be defined by that dish. Because I'll be argue there are a lot of different ways to make gnocchi. For sure, right? Yeah, my God, yes. Tons. Without trying all the gnocchi in the world, I would say that your way of making gnocchi is probably the fucking hardest way to make gnocchi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no egg. And it went from potato. Went from a traditional gnocchi recipe, I guess, sort of potato, Idaho potato, flour, two eggs. Yep. And every which way to boil cook. or bake the potatoes. Yeah. Remember how many different ways you yeah you decided all on a whim like you would come in and Marco has his way of spinning a towel yeah <laughs> is his move yeah and they'd be like no we're gonna do it this way you're gonna slice them and you're gonna cook them on a perforated yep. you know whatever uh, or this time you're gonna slice them in half and score them this way it would change so much yeah we tweaked and learned every day 
It was great. And then I was like, I think this guy's out of his fucking mind. <laughs> but no, I was like, oh, because he would come, he's like, it's about the fucking crystals, man. You got to get the crystals. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The crystals and are And then we do at. some homework. You do some homework. You're like, oh, no. It's we like would age the potatoes. Aging the potatoes. And yeah. it was true because yeah. you're trying to develop starch. Yeah. Age them. Age them. And man, like a good gnocchi day for you, everyone was like, because I would be in charge of cutting the gnocchi. Everyone's like, how are the potatoes? (laughs) Crystals? Crystals? Because everyone knew if it wasn't good, service may go off the rails. It's hilarious. It's true, right? Like little things. And you were so in tune with this fucking dish with three ingredients at the time. And then the pick was just butter, Bermonte. Yeah, and Reggiano and salt and 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 black pepper. Yeah. And then you got... You changed the cooking method. You started to age of potatoes. And then you got rid of eggs. Yep. And then, and now it makes total sense. Because what you figured out was like, man, if I figure out how to dry the potatoes, if I figure out how to get the starch content, content up, the goal is to not use any flour at all. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. That? As little flour as, as little needed. S- but the minimum effective dose of flour. Yeah, because if you can theoretically turn the potato into starchy flour itself, yeah. that would be the dream. Yeah, right. I know this. Yeah. So every time I've ever had your gnocchi, <laughs> I'm like, oh man, he's closer. He's getting closer yeah. to the dream. Yeah. And it's a, it literally is a heartwarming thing for me to know that this thing, <laughs> potato dish over 20 years is still tweaking towards perfection. And if yeah. that's not three stars or fucking the best store, one of the best stores you ever hear about Dude, food. we can't get one star Michelin at Hearth, but fuck. it's okay. It doesn't matter, man. People love that restaurant and I love the people that come there and we have such a good group of people. Like it's so, it so doesn't matter anymore. It really doesn't. I love that place. You've- and people love that place, which is the best feeling. People come in and they're like, God, I love this place. And like, that's it. That's everything. It's incredibly delicious. Yeah. It's simple, wholesome. I never thought I like vegetable food. soup. Yeah, Ribolita. Fucking Christ. But you know, the for me, like my favorite story is like how you know now I get off on serving a cup of broth because it's like this notion of making it simpler and simpler and simpler. It's like there's something about a cup of hearth broth that is like it's like the the essential nature of that cup of broth is something like that is getting me so jazzed. So late. how does this whole broth thing happen? It's just like because you didn't. Really, I'm obsessed. It didn't happen at craft. It's my new gnocchi, <laughs> a cup of broth. When did it happen at hearth? Because you always make stocks. Yeah, this is hearth broth is the universal broth I've been using since craft. Through through NCMA through hearth. What's the, what's the hearth broth? It's Rosemary. Like the, it's no. It's the broth I grew up eating as a kid. That literally, my mother would make this broth for holidays, and it's a, you know, it's a big piece of like tough beef meat. It's like a turkey drumstick, and it's like a whole stewing hen, or you know, it would just be like a big nasty chicken, and like those three things together with mirepoix and tomato product. Um, cooked for a pretty damn long time, and it would just make the most delicious, not super like th- weighty but thin at the same time. Because like everybody's like, "What's the difference between stock and broth?" Blah blah blah. It's like 
the Italians make broth with more meat in it, and the French make broth with more Bones. joints and bones. So one, it lends itself to reduction because there's more gelatin, and the other lends itself to flavor because they like to eat lighter in Italy. And it's like the Italian version of hearth broth with a lot of meat in it is like just so savory and like to sip it is just, I think it's really your, a joyful Your broth thing. is way more Asian, right? Well, this I brought Tom Yum for you no, to but try. But even, even still, like it's like more meat, right? And then you use something like a, you make a salad out of the meat or something like that and you have the broth. Well, yeah, we would always make croquettes out of the, of the meat for the, you know, growing up. Fuck, Marco, you're such a, you make such good food. I'm just thinking about all the shit you used to do. <laughs> it's a lot of shit you came up with. Yeah. Um, Blonde sofrito. Yeah. Fennel, white onions. Fennel, celery, and onion instead of carrot, yeah. Sofrito's where it's at. I, w- I wanted to, like, show you this thing, because I just saw it in my local uh, H-Mart. Um, they have... Uh, Goya makes sofrito. They used to put it in a can. Is it good? But now they put it in. Uh, now oh. they put it in jars. No one made um, sofrito like. But you it's like, sofrito. dude, my dream is to make. So the label on this Goya sofritos, the the ingredient panel is like. It's really. It's really long, and there's not a lot of great things in there. And like, I want to do. I want to do a clean label sofrito, man. I would. That would be that amazing. Would sell. And yeah, with broth and sofrito, you can make so many delicious things. You made me do sofrito crudo. <laughs> yeah, on the pickled sardines. Yeah. That's one of my favorite dishes with parsley leaves uh, and, and frisee. That was an, on the opening menu of craft. Sofrito crudo. You know, also one of my favorite underrated dishes that you did was the braised salsafrine sofrito. Yes. Delicious. Yes. Also, probably my favorite Marco and the Romano dish, beans, yeah. yeah, is the uh, is the cannellini beans. Yeah, that was the old amuse. Yes, but just the beans itself when they were hot, yeah, with the balsamic, yeah, that simple, was delicious, yeah, a lot of crafts with some good food. But it's, I mean, we're still doing that stuff at Hearth. It's the same food. Yep, yep. I mean, we've even turned up more at Hearth with like the quality thing. Like, we're only using grass fed butter today. And Can you talk about we that have change? A mill downstairs. Can you talk about this change and like how it all happened? Yep. And there was a, what the shift was. So, if someone hasn't been to Hearth in a while, like it's all the same, but not the same. Yeah. Well, it kind of shifted when I split with Paul because it started, it was like, wow, I really have an opportunity now to like do whatever I want. It's not like a, it doesn't need to be a, a, a joint decision because now I had kind of all the decision rights and and it was on the heels of Brodo and the success of Brodo and the positioning of Brodo. And and I just thought, you know, I, I really want to speak the same language with Hearth. And Hearth had always cared about seasonality and quality. And that's how, you know, craft was like that. But I was never like forward with it in, in the narrative or in the marketing of the restaurant. And I was like, you know, because you can I wanna, just assume there was a given that people, yeah, because that is this. Is and how like you I didn't, I never did. Like these are my farmers, and these are my things. And I always just, I was always a fan of like not saying anything and just being like, you, you know, you potato su- gnocchi. But you were never a self promoter of it all. Yeah, man. no, like, it's you just always like, got the best shit. Yes, exactly. But I never talked about it, and I was like, wait a minute. Like the more I learned about how few people were really using the green market. And the more I learned from like listening to cooks who would like trail around 
about like things that were going on in the industry at some really great restaurants, I was like, you know what? I feel like, I feel like the world is ready to, you know, and the other thing that made me do it was the fact that as I started Brodo and as I started getting interested in grocery, I was like, you know, you could walk the aisles of Whole Foods and I could learn more about the food I'm buying in Whole Foods than I can in the, in the fine dining restaurant culture of New York City. And I was like, I want to, uh, I just want to be, I, I want to be more out with the kinds of things that I'm buying. Cause I always had the approach of, I don't need to say it. It's a given. And like, we're just getting good stuff. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I do need to say it because I don't think people were connecting the dots. So, you know, I started talking about the fact that we're milling our own flour in the basement. And I started talking about the fact that we're not using like commodities butter. Like we're getting grass fed, local grass fed butter. And um, I just started being way more vocal about uh, the raw material choices. And it served us well. And I also changed the format, right? We weren't app and entree because, because like my apps were going to start popping 20 bucks and my entrees were going to start popping $40 if I stayed to that old model of like protein centric entrees and like you couldn't, you couldn't do it. So I was like, you know, we got rid of the app entree model. Everything was just a plate of food. And we started talking a lot more about, about, you know, where we got everything. And, and it was amazing because I watched the demographic of that restaurant change overnight. Mm. And it went from, it went from blue hairs to 20 somethings in a matter of two, three months. And it was extraordinary. And I'm really glad I did it because it's like, it's the 2.0 version of hearth that began at the 10 year mark. Yeah. And that was uh, a fun reunion, dude. There was, Oh my God, you were there for that. That's right. You were one of the cooks and Tom was doing his lobsters (laughs) from raw. Remember that? Cooking his lobsters. It was <laughs> no hilarious. It was so great. That was a fun night, it man. It was a blast. That was a fun night. I have that menu still somewhere in the restaurant. It was an unbelievable night. But it's amazing. After 10 years, we kind of we redid it all and like we launched a brand new restaurant. I mean, it's still hearth. Um, but it's been great. It's been great. We've been busy and people really appreciate it. When's the last time you had did, you know, my favorite recipe actually is your veal breast. Ah, uh, we haven't had that in a while. You never see it. You know it why? Anymore. Well, I won't do it today because I can't find good quality veal. veal. It's like rose I wish rose veal became a thing in this country, but it's like it's gonna take four, some time. I mean, four story does it once in a while, but it's like, you know, it all so. goes to Dan Barber or something. I don't know. It's <laughs> like I can't get my I can't get my hands on good rose veal, like grass fed. Mother's milk veal is impossible to get, so I don't do I don't use veal anymore. Man, we changed our meatballs to beef because I couldn't get a good quality veal. Your meat, Marco, man, all these fucking dishes are so good. Your meatballs, fuck, so good. <laughs> well, you need to come and visit us, yeah. dude. It's been far too long. Ribolita just went on the menu, so that, you got to come so for delicious. your annual. Yeah. Your annual bowl of ribolita. And the veal breast, though. Fuck, that was so good. These are like With real sweetbreads. Oh, my God. Yeah, God. that was good. And cram- fresh cranberry beans. So good. Yeah. Are you using fresh beans now at the restaurant? In LA more, not in New York. Uh, but the like, beans on the market you know, now that's are another, I would say another 
staple of Marco that did not understood is you're bean master. Yeah, Tuscan man. Dude, bean so eater. Many, so many I beans. was born a bean eater, yeah. And fresh beans is something that I hope becomes more recognized as like a sought after thing. Cause like I still don't uh, there's so many people that don't understand the notion of a fresh shelling bean. So and good. they're extraordinary fresh I'm, shelling I'm, beans. I'm gonna be in man, I, I you know what? Just talking right now, one of us or all of us should actually all compile a bunch of fucking stories. Wouldn't that be great? Down. They're so funny. I know. Did I ever tell you the story with Keller and Benno? No. And it's literally the week that a craft bar opened. And um like it was just like all of a sudden craft bar is open. And then your menu with the sage leaves and the oh, meatballs the and duck the ham and telegio. And that oh that end one. of the woods. End of the woods. Panini. And <laughs> I just remember <laughs> other like we had all these new cooks there trying to figure out how to get their mise en place and all the equipment and you, your your veal ricotta meatball so good. And someone had taken a equipment off my station and I was like, who took it? And like James Tracy was like, oh, some one of the new dudes over next door. And I'm <laughs> so pissed. I run, run around and I'm like, fuck, I'm going to kill this guy. I can't believe they took my shit. And literally they just put a hole next door in, in the building and I turned the corner and some dude... I can't remember the person's name with my equipment in his, with my, whatever, my knife or something in yeah. his left hand hits me Ugh. and it was all the meatballs and oh, crap bar. They was bringing down for whatever reason and they all flew oh, all over God. the place. And meatballs <laughs> everywhere. I have Marco's delicious meatballs stuck everywhere. I'm covered in red sauce. And the whole time it was like, I'm like, oh, do I go down? I'm happy because- I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> You're the first time hearing this story. Yeah. And uh, I was like, because back then, remember like Octar, people would wear like two aprons because you would get in trouble if you were dirty. And I was just like, oh, I don't have time that to go downstairs. That was thing, the yeah. double apron. Remember that? You'd have four clean aprons <laughs> yeah. on one. That's hilarious. And I turned the corner and... I see God, it's Thomas Keller with Jonathan Benno oh, sitting right Jesus. there in front of me. And I'm like, covered in sauce. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no. What do I do? I, I don't, I can't walk away. I can't do anything. What am I supposed to do? That's hilarious. And I don't even have a place to wipe my dirty hand. And Jonathan JP goes to Chef, um, Chef David Chang. <laughs> and, he reaches out his hand, and I have tomato sauce all over my oh hand, my and I God. shake his hand. And so I will have veal rakita. Your meatballs will always be synonymous with meeting <laughs> Chef Keller with meatballs in my sauce. face and hair. Um, and and uh, I'm drinking this broth, and it's delicious. This is what? The Tom Yum. It's, uh, it's coconut milk, curry spice from uh, our friend at Le Bois and uh, Lior. Uh, and lime juice and chili. And we'll make it like a la minute at the shop. If you, where if you are the locations it. in New York? Um, East Village, the first one, West Village, Soho, Upper West, and soon Upper East. Wow. And we have a six month a year kiosk at Astor Place. And 
what what what's the move if you haven't been to a Brodo store? What do you do? So what? basically, you think of it as a coffee shop, and instead of serving coffee, we're serving broth. So we serve broth in uh, small and large cups with sip lids. Um, and you could treat those. We have four different broths, and then you could treat them with all these different combos and add-ins. So this is the Tom Yum, and there's also uh, the Spicy Nona, which is uh, roasted garlic and chili, uh, and the Deeply Rooted is turmeric and ginger. So we have fun with it. It's like it's very easy as a chef for so long to come up with things to add to broth. Like we froth it with different butters and different ghees, um, and – uh, so there's so many things that you can incorporate into this simple cup of broth to make all kinds of flavorful drinks. So here's your opportunity to talk shit about all the fucking competitors. Oh, no. Okay? No, you're, you're going to because you're the best shit talker I know. You're a fucking Eminem and shit talker. Oh, boy. You are. No, I can, mean, look, I'm not going there. Come on. I'm not going to name any names. No, but no, look, no, no, don't name any names. Why? Does everyone else, what kind of shortcuts does everyone else take that you don't? Okay. Well, there's a lot of them. So the vast majority of broth in the marketplace is made by buying base, which is like essentially like a pureed version of a bouillon cube. And you put the base into a big, 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 big pot and you add water and you cook it for like an hour. And then you have like a ton of broth that you just label and put it into a box or a can or whatever. Um, and that's like the vast majority of broth in the in the commercial market is that. And if they do decide to cook it for real, are they buying the products that you're buying? I mean, look, I don't know how everybody else is doing it. I could tell you that, um, <laughs> you know how they say when you don't know what you're doing, sometimes you do things and, you know, because you're stupid and you don't know. And it's like. We we fill pots with bones. I, I mean, I make broth. <laughs> we make broth commercially the way you we made broth at craft. That's all I know. I know, you right? Still- and like, and I'm doing that now. Uh, and a lot of people are like, "You're out of your fucking mind." But I'm kind of like, I was one of those. There's people. only one. There's only one. I mean, look, that's the only way I know how to make broth. I know that's and what nobody's I'm gonna to tell me like. Oh, well, if you want to sell it here, then it means you have to make it this way. And it's like, I refuse to believe it. And so I sat down with Mark when I, I told refuse him to to believe that, it. that advice. Like, you're out of your mind. You can't do it this scale, but you are. And, we are. And that's why and I'm I not changing you. it. And you never get in. I, I just, you've never taken a fucking shortcut, man. When it, <laughs> you just don't. And even with this, you're buying the best. You're cooking it the same way we would do with, that you taught me how to do it. That's how we make it. And that's why it's delicious. the only way to make it. Yeah, it is delicious. And I hope that at the end of the day, it's hard though, because in a grocery setting, you can't taste stuff. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to educate in that channel, but we are all in on it. And, um, you know, I'd like to believe that it's all about people, you know, you have to repurchase it, right? So people will try it, but they have to love it to buy it again. And like that's the key to like building something in a grocery channel, I believe and hope. So the hope is that little by little people will try it and be like, holy shit, this does taste different. What are the besides it being delicious, right? Which it is. Yeah. What are the health benefits? benefits? Yeah. I mean, they're so they're so long. And like I like to get out of the functional, you know, there's a ton of functional benefits to good broth, but one of the one of the things that I kind of hone in on is like I want this to get I want this to be a hack for people to cook more at home 
because like I believe cooking for your family and cooking for your friend and cooking for yourself, for your own food is one of the best things you can do for your mind and your body and your health. And having a good quality broth available to you to insert into your cooking at home is one of the best time hacks there is. So I would say the biggest benefit is to understand what it means to have broth as a staple in your kitchen, and that will lead to tons of benefits, functional and otherwise. Um, but if you if it's like a health and wellness conversation, all the benefit comes from the amino acid structure that is in that collagen protein. There's L-glutamine in there, and there's glycine in there, and there's a lot of studies, despite a lot of people saying there's no proof about broth. There's proof about the elements of broth. And there's plenty of studies about glycine, and there's plenty of studies about L-glutamine, two things that are very prominent in in our broth and and traditionally made broth. And it's like, it helps heal your gut lining, and um, it helps lubricate your joints, and it helps hydrate yourself. Uh, It helps you recover well. Um, It helps you produce more collagen in your body. And it's just like, it's insane how many benefits there are. And the other thing I like to say, and I'm going to take advantage of being on your show to say this, it's like people have been consuming traditionally made broth on every corner of the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. And like, for me, that's enough. Like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need a study. Like everybody wants to debate about what to eat and what not to eat and whatever. And it's like, I would dare say we should look at what we've been eating as humans for a lot of years on every corner of the globe to drive our decisions. And broth is something we've been consuming for hundreds and hundreds of years on every corner of the globe. And we need to get back to it because it's very valuable for cooking for health. And delicious. If, for well, the very- and the, yeah, I say the world's first comfort food. It's like, it's as comforting as mac and cheese, except it's really fucking good for you. How many cups have we both just had? Four. It's delicious. And I didn't know. I thought he fucking was bringing Dunkin' Donuts coffee mug. But lo and behold, <laughs> it's a giant gallon jug of broth that we've now. And It's delicious. It's delicious. And we're shipping it uh, on e-commerce too, so. Um, you said you had a discount? Yeah. Dave 15. 15% off uh, Brodo.com. Brodo.com. Yep. Dave 15. Dave. 15 and you'll ship ship it to you anywhere in the u.s good for the holidays good for thanksgiving dinner man yes give them a recipe for your broth for thanksgiving dinner well just make a roux and add hearth broth to it and then put some chopped sage and rosemary in it and you've got an unbelievable gravy that's it done (laughs) if you don't make it you're a loser Um, Marco chef, thank you so much. I always have to call you chef, but thank you. Um, I, I appreciate it. It's been, it's been great. I've been hoping that we were going to have this conversation at some point. It's, I mean, we could talk a lot more about the fucking insane shit. <laughs> I just want to say, I share your, uh, your love of Jeremy Fox. I, you mentioned how he just got reviewed at, at Bir- Birdie G's. Birdie G's. Yeah. I mean, I like you. You're, you know, I have admired that guy from afar for so long, and he is like, he is an iconic figure in my mind in terms of somebody to emulate. Uh, and his cooking and his devotion is extraordinary. So I just wanted to kind of jump on that on that wagon with you and say, that fucking guy is unbelievable. 
and the shit he's gone through. I right? know. Um, one of, if not America's greatest talents. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent agree. So, you know, I know you've been a huge fan of his and check out Fox's restaurant, check out Marco's restaurant, hearth and all the Brodo locations. Brodo.com. Yep. Day 15, 15% off. And uh, if you make the recipe for Thanksgiving, uh, it's the roux, Brodo broth, hearth broth, hearth broth with a basic roux, uh, some fresh chopped sage and rosemary at the end. Squeeze a lemon never hurts. And if you photograph it and send it to Marco's Instagram account, you'll get 30% <laughs> off your next Brodo order. See you Stop. later. Stop. <laughs>Well, I want to thank Marco Canora for coming on this podcast. It's a bit strange to have him on this pod because he's always been this older brother figure to me, and I've always looked up to everything he's ever done and always wanted his validation. So, I mean, we, we sort of wax nostalgic about a lot of things, and, and cooking is a very hard business, and uh, don't not to talk too much about that, but I have the best moments of my life in food, uh, when I work for other people, happened with him. So um, I was really grateful to have him on and, and to share his story about his journey and the trials and tribulations that he's gone through. I think he's the most underrated, one of the most underrated chefs and best chefs America's produced. So go check him out and get Brodo. It's really delicious stuff and it's the real thing and everyone else uses garbage or it's like from concentrate or something like that. But Marco doesn't ever compromise on ingredients. That's just not who he is and what he does. And uh, that's why Brodo gets the best of the best. Uh, it took me 40 hours to get to Australia, literally. So I'm a bit out of my mind. And while there are some Ask Dave at MajorDomoMedia.com questions, both through email and through iTunes, I'm sorry, guys. I, I got I to gotta get to bed. I will answer some next week when I, my mind is not mush. Anyway, Please give us five stars, however you rate this podcast. And uh, thank you again, as always. Stay tuned next week. Check out Marco Canora and peace.